morning, good morning. My name is Pastor Derek, and I just wanted to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Can we give it up for all the moms in the house? Come on. Woo! So today is a yes day for moms, whatever they want. The answer is yes. <laughs> That's frightening. <laughs> Some of you moms got a black belt and MasterCard. So we got... Um, anyway, I just want to uh, just first just take a second and just tell somebody to your right or to your left, say, you look better than you usually do. <laughs> Something about Mother's Day made it just go up a notch. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, speaking of looking better and making other people look better, my wife's to my left right here, and um, Mama Fry, as somebody, some people call her, and uh, my bride is going to be bringing the word, and it's with great pride that... Um, I present my wife. My wife is, uh, is my partner in life, and she's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal wife, tremendous parent, and you're going to get a great, great message as we kind of kick off the series, Real Life. Would you just give a little extra love for the queen of the partridge, Thank Parsonage, you. Mrs. Thank Partridge you. herself, Mama Fry. My mic, I don't know. If I'm on. Yeah, she's Thank on, you. Art. Just oh, turn her on, buddy. Thank you. Um... Thank you to you, honey, and thank you. I am really glad that all of you showed up today because he told everybody that I was speaking last week, so I was hoping that there wouldn't be like four people here. <laughs> so thank you. You're all my favorite people now. <laughs> um, I, I feel privileged um, to be speaking on Mother's Day because moms are amazing, and um, they carry a lot of responsibility. So I want to share with you a story that I heard might be the next Survivor series. How many of you watch Survivor? Okay. So we have some fans out there. All right, so six married men will be dropped off on an island with three kids each, okay? I, some of you have heard this. Just stop there. That's, not, that's it. <laughs> they have to survive. No. Um, and each kid will play two sports and either take music or dance class, and there is no fast food on this island. Each man must take care of his three kids, he keep his assi- assigned house clean, correct all homework, do science projects, do laundry, cook, and pay a list of pretend bills with not enough money. In addition, he has to have budget the amount of money for groceries each week. Each man must remember the birthdays of all their friends and relatives and send them a card on time. No Facebooking, no emailing. Oh, I know. Um, Each man must take each child to a doctor's appointment, a dentist appointment, and a haircut appointment and sit there with them while they're trying to be still and get their hair cut. He must make one unscheduled and inconvenient visit per child to the urgent care. He must also make cookies and cupcakes for all social events and for each child's birthday to send to school. Each man will be responsible for decorating his own assigned house, planting flowers outside, and keeping the house presentable at all times. The men will, have only, will only have access to television when the kids are asleep and all the chores are done. The men must shave their legs, wear makeup daily, adorn himself with jewelry, wear uncomfortable yet stylish shoes, keep their fingernails polished, and eyebrows groomed. During one of the six weeks, the men will have to endure severe abdominal cramps, backaches, have extreme and unexplained mood swings, but nevertheless falling short of their duties. They must attend weekly school meetings, church, and in the morning, uh, no, sorry, and uh, find time to spend at least one afternoon at the park with the kids, all the while not losing one of them. They will need to read a book to the kids each night and in the morning, feed them, dress them, brush their teeth, comb their hair all before 7 a.m. And they have to look good. 
themselves. A test will be given at the end of six weeks, and each father will need to know the required information, this following information. Each child's birthday, height, weight, shoe size, clothes size, doctor's name and phone number. Also, the child's weight at birth, their length, the time of birth, length of labor, the child's favorite color, favorite toy, favorite snack, favorite drink, uh, their top five friends, their biggest fear, and what they want to be when they grow up. Okay, the kids are the ones that vote them off the island based on performance. (laughs) The last man wins only if he is able to be and has enough energy to be intimate with his spouse at a moment's notice. (laughs) And when the last man does win, he can play the game over and over for 18 to 25 years, thus earning the right to be called mother. (laughs) It's true. And that is real life for a mom, and this series is called Real Life, um, where, where it's more than a game. So a lot of people, you know, treat life like a game, and it's, it's sometimes it's not taken too seriously, and um, they don't take seriously the time that they've been given to live this life, and this is especially true in relationships. Sometimes people are, you know, wishing and hoping on a star and crossing their fingers that things are going to get better, and they're wondering why they don't. Um, but... You know, during, during this series, we're going to be talking about several different topics where um, it, our lives require intentionality. Um, the series text is Luke 9.24. This is in your um, outline. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. When we choose to do life God's way, we always win. His way may seem counterintuitive to us, and, and it definitely will go against what the world says. But... We'll always win if we do it his way in the, in the real world of real life. Each week, we're going to discuss the different topics and how it's intricately linked to relationships. So our series, Big Idea, is great relationships don't happen on accident. And the relationship that we're talking about today is parenting life. Seeing as how it is, you know, Mother's Day, we thought it would be a good, good opportunity to talk about parenting. So unlike our survivor story, life is not a game that we play to try to win a million dollars. It would be awesome if we could do that, but... That's not the case here. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's the real deal. You got one shot at this life. And you have, I have one shot at parenting my kids. We have four kids. And um, I have one shot at raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, there are many opportunities during that one shot. There's 365 days a year for 18 years while they're under my house and then beyond. Okay? But we don't take it lightly because there's a lot to do during those years. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming how much there is to teach our kids in the amount of time that they're under our roof. Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 to 9, talks about the commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. And it says, Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're getting in bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I am sure that my kids were very excited that we did not take that literally and stick Post-it notes to their head when they sent, when they sent them to school to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever my hand finds to do, I will do with all my might. We didn't put it on their foreheads, but we did repeat them again and again. We, didn't, we, um, we talked about it when they were going to bed and when they were getting up. We talked about it when they were going to a friend's house or when they were going to a game or when they were going to a dance. We talked about it all the time because it's important that they get those things again and again into their heads because we have one shot at this parenting life. So today I want to share with you some things that we've learned over the years um, that might help you as a parent. And some of you may be here and you're not a parent. There's plenty of you that are here that are not a parent. There's something in this for you too. Because God's principles work in every relationship. And we as people, just people, no matter what age, 
stage or phase of life we're in, we should always be mentoring or influencing someone else. Amen. Thank you. So um, Paul saw Timothy as a son in the faith, and he treated him as such. And then Paul went on to talk in in Titus 2 to teach older men and women about right living. And then in turn, it says the older women will teach the younger women. So there's something for everyone in here, even if you're not a parent. So whenever I talk about parenting, if I say parenting, you can substitute the word mentoring, okay, if you're not a parent. Everybody good? Okay. All right. So we're going to talk, but mostly focusing on parents today. So one of our favorite and most used traditions in our family is um, when, whenever we finish at the dinner table, and some of the kids here who have been at our dinner table would know this to be true, um, whenever we finish saying the blessing, someone says, and... And then at whoever's at the table, friends, whoever, family, we all say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, that's taken from Joshua 24, 15. And that is an awesome tradition. Feel free to steal it and take it. We stole it from somebody else down in Alabama because it's awesome. It is keeping before our kids every time we sit down to dinner that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's almost like a um, holding people accountable. There were times in, in high school with certain ones that, They'd stick a bite in their mouth before they had to say it or whatever, you know, just not wanting to really say it. But everybody else was saying it, and we spoke words of life over our children and over our family. Um, and it's, it's not just going to happen, you know, that all my kids serve the Lord. So having a family that serves the Lord just doesn't happen on accident. If I just let things happen, society and culture would determine how my kids think, feel, and act. Okay? And my husband mentioned this last week, that if we let it, culture would define us. So I want to unfold for you some common worldviews of parenting today that have caused and will continue to cause many problems in families. And these are, this is in your outline. So in today's culture, society conditions us that the children are in charge. They call the shots. Now, I'm the principal of Metro West Christian Academy here, um, two buildings over, and this is a shameless plug for our amazing school Pre-K to fifth grade, if you want to send your children to a school that they get a great education, but we also train character, hello, come and check us out. We have an open house, in fact, Friday. Now that you, (laughs) 9 to 11.30 in the morning, come see our school in action. But anyway, so being the principal of the school, I get a lot of opportunity to see firsthand into families. And I I tell you, one of the saddest things to me is when at enrollment time, we we go and talk to the parents or call them on the phone and say, you know, hey, are you re-enrolling Susie for next year? Well, you know, Susie's in kindergarten, by the way. Well, well, little Susie hasn't decided yet. Susie, Susie's making this decision, okay, based on her vast four years of life experience and knowledge or who she's sitting next to in kindergarten. I mean, like, seriously? Susie's like, okay. So I do take that opportunity to do a little parenting technique for, with them. But another thing society conditions us is don't discipline your children. It's harmful to, for them and for your relationship. Okay, but the book that I live by says that those who love their children are careful to discipline. Careful to discipline. That's key. Careful discipline. That verse is going to be shown up in your outline um, a little bit further down. It's Proverbs 13, 24. Um, Another thing society conditions us is do all you can for your children to make them happy and comfortable. Well, I just want my kids to be happy. Okay. I want my kids to be happy, but more, than, more importantly, I want them to have joy. There's a big difference between happiness and joy, okay? And a lot of times, um, more than I want my kids to be happy, I want them to be in the smack dab center of God's will. And sometimes, according to the world's standards, that's not a very happy place because God's teaching them something about their character that might be really, really uncomfortable. 
But God cares more about our character than our comfort, and that's what we need to be able to do as parents. We should follow that example. And thank you, honey. I like a little bit of encouragement. So you can feel free to talk too. Um, yeah, don't call me baby. Okay. Um, we as parents need to be willing to make the hard calls to ensure that our family is going down the right path, the straight and narrow, the ones, the road less traveled, the path that is pleasing to Christ and the path that produces champions for Christ. Um, you know, in this day and age, it's much more common to just let kids grow up and not rock the boat too much and make them happy and let them do what they want. But man, that, if we want great families and great kids, it's not going to be easy to come by. So our, our series, I mean, our today's big idea is great families don't happen on accident. Everybody say that. Great families don't happen on accident. We have to be intentional and persistent with the families that God gave us to lead. Um, we have to think ahead. We have to have determination to do whatever it takes, however long it takes, and sometimes it takes a long time, to do and develop, to develop great children and great families. It takes investment that may seem inconvenient at times, but the dividends far outweigh the hassle. Um, one of the dividends for me and my husband is that when our kids lead people to Christ, uh, we, get to, we get to those heavenly rewards when we get to heaven. We get to rejoice in that because, our, because we invested in our children, and they're the ones that brought many people to Christ. So now I told you what society tells us, but now I want to tell you four truths that the Bible says that, about parenting. And if you keep these truths and principles in the forefront of your mind, it's going to help you in this crazy thing called parenting. Crazy little thing called parenting. Okay. I'm not going to bust out in song like my husband does, but that's, that's about all you get. Um, so now parenting is not for the faint of heart. How many of you would agree to that? Yes. I saw several hands be like, yes, amen. Um, okay, so if society is telling us that the children are in charge, they call the shots, don't discipline, make them happy, then what does the Bible say? What's the solution? That's the problem. What's the solution? I'm going to give you four principles. Now, they're easy to understand, but they're somewhat hard to live out on a consistent basis. Okay, so great parents raise great children by, number one, preparing them for the future. Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18 says, Oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and gray, or young and blonde, quasi-blonde, do not abandon me, O oh God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation. Underline the power to the new generation. Your mighty miracles to all who come after me. I have to think about who comes after me. I have to think about the future. Um, so I want to tell you a little story, um, just to review a story. Most of you know this story, but, and it's not in your notes, but you can write down and look it up yourself later, Mark 6 and John 6. Um, and it's actually, this is the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, and it's in all four Gospels, and to, read, to get a clear picture, you can read them all. Um, but let me just review it quickly. Uh, so Jesus was um, with his disciples, and he was going on a little you know, boat ride down, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and um, was going into the town of Bethsaida. And apparently everybody saw it on his Facebook status. So they gathered and followed him. So they gathered on the hillside, and Jesus taught them many things all day. So late in the day, the, the people were starting to complain that they were hungry. So the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, tell everybody to go out in the fields and the farms and go find their food and go eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. They all go, do you know how much money it would take to feed all these people? Now, mind you, it says 5,000, but that's 5,000 men. It says the, there were 5,000 men and their families. So there had to be at least 10,000 people, okay? So the disciples are complaining about how much money it would take. And um, then one disciple says, 
but we do have, there's one young boy who has a, a lunch of five barley loaves of bread and two fish. Okay, so Jesus says, sit them down all into groups, about 50 to 100, and I'll feed them. So he gets, he, they, they sit down in their groups, and then the miracle begins. He start break, starts breaking off the bread and tearing off the pieces of fish and hands it to the disciples so that they can go and then distribute it to all the, um, the groups. Now, a little aside here. Notice that the miracle didn't begin until they were in small groups. Uh-huh. See, small groups is where it's at. That's when things happen. All right. That's a whole other message, but... Um, okay, so um, we know the end of the story that... All of, after everybody was fed, there were, the disciples went and gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. Okay, so I want to go back to the lunch part. Who was it that had the lunch? A little boy. It's not a trick question. You can answer. It's a boy. Okay, so the young boy had the lunch. Now, in biblical times, we know that the father was probably not the one that packed this boy's lunch. Okay, the mother, we can strongly surmise that the mother packed this child's lunch. Okay. She put his five Bertucci's rolls and two pieces of sushi from Minato right in his little bag and sent him out. Deej, you like that? Um, So, but she sent him out that morning not having a clue of the magnificent plan that God had in store for him that day. She had no idea that he would be known for the rest of eternity as that one little boy that had the lunch. If I were his mom up in heaven, heaven, I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm that mom. I prepared his lunch that day. But, you know, all she knew when, he, when she sent him out that morning is that he had to be prepared. She had no idea what for. He had to be prepared. You see, God loans us our children for us to prepare them for when he's ready for them to, make, to, to do their assignment, that they're ready to be sent out. And we have no idea when it might be. It might be when they're a young boy. Or it might be when they're a teenager. It might be when they're an adult. But we have to prepare them. Our kids need to be equipped to be sent out. Um, you know, the, um, let's see, I lost my, lost my place here. Okay, so um, God gives us our kids as temporary assignments. And um, since Derek and I were given four temporary assignments, I don't want to come to the end of my life and, and have the Lord be displeased with how I did with my assignments. I'm, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, you know, I like to do things right. So I want him to be pleased. I want him to say, oh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come rest in my presence because you have been work- working so hard, haven't you, honey? And I'm going to be like, yes, daddy, I'm exhausted. Can I please come in? There are a lot of work you gave me. Just kidding. I mean, they are a lot of work, but in a good way. Um, so our children are gifts with strings attached. Now, um, Psalm 127 verses 3 and 4 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Children born to a young, marrow, young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Now I have these arrows. These are real arrows, so I'm going to be real careful because they have a really serious point on them. Okay, so arrows in a, a warrior's hands are useless if they're not being shot out, right? Do we agree? Okay. Looking at the design of this, it has a point, a pretty sharp point, and it's, it's intended to hit something, to pierce something, okay? It is the parent's job to point our arrows in the right direction. And when they hit, when the, the bullseye for us would be God's purpose and plan for their lives, but they have to be sent out in order to hit the target. Um, so I'm just going to put this down here. I don't want to hold that too long. Um, so we need to make sure that we are preparing our arrows. I have 
this one shot at parenting life to prepare my arrows, my kids, to be sent out into their future. And it starts when they're babies. It starts when, you, you know, when they're little and you're training them to get on a feeding schedule or a sleeping schedule. Um, when they're two and three, you teach them to use the potty instead of their diaper. When they're four and five, you teach them that they can't throw themselves on the floor at the grocery store when they don't get their way. You know, but if I don't teach my kids when they're five and six that I mean business when I say stop doing that, I shudder to think of what it looks like when they're 15 and 16. That's why God gave us them when they're little. They came out little so that we could not be scared of them, you know. Um, <laughs> so we are in the throes of teaching our third child, Madison, to drive. She's 16. And I think that any, teen, any parent who's taught a teen to drive deserves a gold medal, Okay. <laughs> Or maybe just a three-week prescription of Valium when they first start learning to drive. I don't know if I'm just getting older or realizing how much danger I'm in when they're driving. Um, but if I don't teach them to, that I, I mean business when I say don't color on the walls when they're five and six, what, what would they do? Why would I think that they're going to obey me when they're 16 learning to drive and I say stop the car? It could be a matter of life and death. They need to learn that when I speak something, I mean it. So that's why we start when they're young. Um, and how you parent your kids when they're little is going to determine how easy or maybe not so easy when they're older and they're teenagers. And if you put the time, into cons into the time and consistency into parenting when they're little, it will be a little easier when they're older because they know that you're serious when you say something. And speaking of being serious when you say something, say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't ever say things that you don't mean because they are smart little boogers and they will figure you out. I'm telling you. Don't say, if you don't come on, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> you can't leave your kid. They, they'll figure that out really quick. Okay, so back to the training for the future part. Um, it's not always convenient, but it is necessary. No one is going to think about my kids' futures like I think about them. And if I don't think about them, who's going to? No one. So then I'm not, I'm not preparing them. Um, so because great parents think about the future, it makes this next point much more possible. Great parents raise great children by, number two, doing what's best, not easiest. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. Amen. That's saying it's not easy, okay? It's not easy for the parents. It's not easy for the kids. It says it's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The message says it pays off handsomely. I like it. So many times the most the easiest and the most convenient thing that you can do to, for your child is not the best thing for them. In fact, 99% of the time, maybe even 100%, it's not the best thing for them just to pacify them. And I don't just mean the plug, the stick in a baby's mouth to stop them from crying. How many of you know bigger kids and young adults and adults can all pitch fits and, and temper tantrums? But, um, it, you know, when, when your child is pitching a fit for something, those are priceless moments to, to make teaching opportunity, to take the opportunity to teach them something. So if your child's pitching a fit for, you know, whether, whatever age they are, a toy, a piece of candy, the latest gadget, an iPhone, iPad, whatever, take the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to set a goal. It could be a behavioral goal. It could be a monetary goal, depending on their age. When you do this, then you'll get this. Because kids, when are they going to learn to what it means to be responsible and hard work to get nice things? It starts when they're young. You can't all of a sudden go, oh, you're 15. Oh, gosh, now we got to teach you about money. Oh, Lord, have mercy, 17. You don't even, you're going off to college next year. You have no idea how to do your laundry. You don't even know how to cook. You don't know how to even eat right. Oh, my gosh, I've got so much to do. 
Start when they're young. Then you have a plenty of time to do it. Okay. Um, now, doing what is best for your child could be training them for chores around the house. Okay, so moms, there's some perfectionistic moms, I'm sure, that it's easier to do it all yourself. How many of you would be that? Well, maybe I don't want to ask. Okay, I won't ask. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's easier to just do it yourself because you don't have to train, you don't have to inspect, you don't have to do it for years and years and teach them for seven years how to make up their bed. That happened. It really happened. Um, but this is, this is one of those years that you might think, well, they're kids. Just let them be kids. And I agree with you. But when they are doing all the chores and helping out around the house with the laundry and cooking and cleaning and vacuuming and, um, you know, doing all these things, they actually have more time to be kids with their parents, which is what they want, which is another point in a minute. Um, and you might ask, so your kids do all that? Yes, they do. Now, I did start out doing this because I've worked full-time um, since they've been little, and I had no choice but to have them help me. But it has been the best thing because when I go away, if I go away and I leave my husband with the kids, each one of the girls takes one night, and they have a dinner to fix. And then everybody cleans up. And uh, I mean, they, they vacuum, and they have to have the lines right because of... <laughs> Yesterday, Morgan was doing the lawn, she was riding her little tractor in the lawnmower, and, and the last thing Derek said to her was, make sure your lines are straight. <laughs> she was like, I know, Dad, I know, Dad. Um, and they were straight. But yes, we train our kids to do everything, because then we have more time as a family. It's so important. Um, and, and let me just tell you this. I, I believe strongly that if you are not, if you're doing everything for your kids, you're setting them up for failure. They won't, they, they, they'll get out in the real world and be like, oh, what do I do? Mom did everything for me. And you'd be guaranteed when they leave my house, they are not calling me to go, Mom, can you come do my laundry? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so as I mentioned earlier, society tells us to do whatever it takes to pacify them, to get them to stop crying, to be happy. Kids think that they know what they need, what makes them happy. They don't. They don't. They need our perspective. For instance, we would go on vacation, and um, we would take the kids' phones away. This is, I mean, when they're teenagers, you know. So at first, they were huffing and puffing and so mad at us, didn't even want to be around us, and they complained. But then like a day or two later, the complaints got less and less. And by the end of the week, they were actually grateful and thankful that they didn't have the pressure of having their phone with them at all times so that they had you know, to keep in contact with all their friends. Okay, they didn't know what was best for them. They thought it would make them happy to have their phone. But I was like, we are not taking all your friends with us on vacation via their phone. So leave your phone. So we didn't do that last year. But news flash. <laughs> We're going to do that this year. Okay, so another example is a, a, um, a very recent one. As I said, we are teaching Madison how to drive. And um, so the first night when you go to parents, um, the, the driver's ed, the first night is the parents' night. So parent, one parent has to go. Well, when we were leaving, um, I saw these little pieces of paper. As you can see, I got two of them. So... If you can't see, it says parent coaching a student driver, and then it has a little teacher's driving academy symbol. Okay. Well, so I grabbed two of these on my way out, and Madison's, I could see her out of the corner of my eye. I look at her friends like, she's that mom. Great. Because you're supposed to put these in your back window so that, parent, so that people behind you know that your parent coaching a student driver. Okay. So um, she was totally embarrassed, and, and she was like, seriously, mom, you're doing that? And I said, uh-huh. Yeah, I am. All right, so the first day, she goes to Milford. She, um, she gets her permit, 
And uh, we're driving home, so I want her to drive home. So I pull over in Holliston, and um, I get out of the car. We switch, switch places, and she goes and takes her, um, you know, she's sitting in getting her seatbelt and doing all the things that good drivers do, fixing her mirrors. And so um, I'm at the back, and I, I pull my little sheet out, and I'm going to the back because I'm going to put it, you know, in the back window. But my window, my back window is too dark. So I was like, I want this to be seen. So... I bring it back up front, and I just get in the car, and I tell her, the window's too dark, so I'm going to have to hold it out the window. <laughs> Are you serious, Mom? Yeah, very serious. You're seriously going to hold that out the window while I'm driving? Yeah. Well, it's either that or the sunroof. So she was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Like she knows who's behind her. What does that matter? Okay. So, sure enough, we pull out on the road, we're driving down the road, and a car pulls up on her. So, I'm going to give you what, it, what you would look like if you were driving behind me. So, I'm like, Now, mind you, we're driving, so it's like winds shaking it. And I'm like this. Sure enough, the car backs off. It was awesome. Worked perfectly. So, for the next couple of weeks, I did it every single time she was driving. I'm whipping it out. One time I did use the sunroof, but I didn't think they could see it as well, so I stick it out the side. Every single time worked like a charm. They pulled right off, and it worked every time. So one day, one Saturday morning, we're going out to her missions meeting out at Lifesong. She's driving. It's going to be a 45-minute drive. She's good. She's, I hadn't even pulled this thing out because she had gotten so much better. So I'm looking out the side mirror and just checking to make sure nobody's behind us, and then all of a sudden a car approaches, and they get kind of close. And mind you, nobody drives the speed limit. My goodness, everybody tells this person going the speed limit. Um, so I'm watching out of the rear, I mean, the side mirror, and all of a sudden I notice Madison, she's starting to get antsy, and she's like looking in the rearview mirror, like more than she's looking out the front. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to pull that out. Like we went a mile or two, whatever, you know, and she's like still kind of getting nervous. So I go to open the glove compartment to get this out, and she goes, I was wondering when you're going to pull that out. <laughs> Mom knows best. When you're teaching your child to drive, make it or do something. Like, this is awesome. So she grew to appreciate what was best for her. And they will, they will do that. They will grow to appreciate it. And it may take a long time, but even if it doesn't, it's still our job to do what is best for them. The third way that great parents raise great children is by understanding and expressing real love. Real love for our kids when they're little. Like, I just saw Brenda Barwick's little baby. He's so cute and so little. And it's so easy to love them and tell them how much you love them. And then they start growing up and doing things that make you mad. <laughs> Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. If God's unfailing love pursues me when I make him mad or I keep making mistakes, my unfailing love should pursue my kids all the days of their lives. So when they're little, it's so easy to just tell them all the time. I love you, I love you, I love you. Tell them every day, about 50 times a day. Um, and, but they also need to feel it in tangible ways, most of which would be categorized into one word, time. They want to spend time with you. Go to the park and, you know, go on a walk and take pictures of them. And you don't have to be a Don Barnes professional type of per picture taker to take pictures of your kids. Um, and let them take pictures Write them notes in their lunch boxes, all kinds of things. Tell your son you're proud of him. Tell your daughter she's beautiful. Make them know that you know, love them. Tell them, my dad did this to us. He would say, I know that whatever you want to be when you grow up, you're going to be it and you're going to be awesome at it. Tell your kids that. They need to hear that. Laying the foundation of unconditional love when they're little helps our unfailing love pursue them as they get older. Because it's not 
It's not as easy when they start saying, doing rebellious things or saying hurtful things. But this is when real love starts taking on the aspects of tough love and real, uh, real discipline. We, we would always tell our kids when they made a mistake or got, got in trouble, we'd say, listen, we love you no matter what. Nothing you can do can make us love you any more or any less. But we're disappointed in you. Now, if you don't have the foundation of unconditional love, when they hear disappointment, they will think that means you don't love me. There's a very different, big, big difference between loving them and being disappointed in them. So God's love is described in many time, so many times in the Bible as unfailing love. It never fails. 1 Corinthians 13 is the, the famous love story, you know, that's read at weddings and about relationships and stuff. But if you look at it in, with a parenting lens, it tells you what real love is. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verses 4 through 7. Um, love is patient, love is kind. I'm going to skip to the, like, verse 7. It says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I want to tell you a little story about Devin, and he's asked, I mean, I've asked permission, and he said yes. But when he got to high school, he did not want me to show any kind of love to him or any kind of affection. Like, I couldn't hug him. I definitely couldn't kiss him on the cheek. I mean, there was, like, he wanted nothing. And he would get angry. He, it, would, it would turn ugly. Well, you don't, you don't turn me down. Like, that's just not going to happen. So there were times where he'd be walking out, and I would be saying, Devin, I'll let you go. You just have to give me a hug. Like, I'm standing in the door. You just have to give me one hug. That's all. Mom, it's so stupid. That is stupid. I am not going to give you a hug. That is gross. So I'm like, okay. So he tries to move me out of the way and manhandles me. And um, I jump on his back. He's walking down the hall. I jump on his back. I'm like, <laughs> I'm kissing his cheek. And he's going, get, get off me. It burns us. It burns. You know. So then there were times where if I couldn't, grab a hold of his back, I'd be like holding by the waist and, you know, sometimes my feet were flailing out behind or sometimes I'm like trying to stop and, you know, he's still walking down. He's like, mom, get off me, get off me. Oh, this is so but let me just say, if I took that rejection, which it was hard for me sometimes. I, there were plenty of times that I would tell my husband, I would say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I, I'd like to just say, okay, fine, I'll show you. I won't hug you. I won't love you. I won't do any of that. But my unfailing love, God somehow gave me the grace to show unfailing love. And if I didn't, if I just let that rejection, we could have been separated. Teen years are very difficult, and you just want to make sure that you show consistent, unfailing love to them, unconditional. And if I, did, if I didn't do that, we wouldn't have the relationship that we have today. That I, we date. We go on dates and go on lunches, and the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and I know that because I get to feed him. And so we go on dates, and we have fun together. And I can tell the story without a tear being shed because we love each other. It was a phase he was in. Thank God he's out of it. <laughs> now I get to hug him and love him and kiss him. He's so cute. He's back there. Okay. Um, so, but there has to be a balance of love and discipline. And I, I've heard, you know, heard it said that it's 17 to 1. 17 loves and praises to one discipline. Okay. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects his, a child in whom he delights. Proverbs 13.24 mentioned it earlier, those who love their children care enough to discipline them. We would tell our kids, if I don't discipline you, then God's going to see that, that I don't love you, and I'm not getting in trouble with him. So no matter what, you have to show real love. And sometimes it may be tough love, but it's real love nonetheless. All right, number four, here's the last point. This is the mother load. This is the one that trumps everything else, the most important one. If you haven't heard anything else I say today, listen to this one. Great parents raise great kids by asking for the Holy Spirit's help. 
Now, let me, let me do a quick parenthetical here. This talk of the Holy Spirit may be something new to you, but it's something that I can't unfold completely in a 40-minute you know, parenting lesson. There's enough to put in a parenting lesson. Um, but it is a topic that is discussed, going to be discussed tonight at 201 um, in the lower auditorium at 530. But it, um, it's along with some other essentials of our faith. But if you want to learn more about that, come tonight to that, okay? So I'm just, I'm going to do my best in a, like a two-minute time frame to explain to you what the Holy Spirit does for us with our parenting, okay? Everybody with me? Okay, so prior to Jesus' departure from earth, he spent time with the disciples explaining to them, taking up three chapters, um, that he knew what so many people today don't miss because of whether it's misinformation or misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, that we'll be far more successful doing this life if we have a partner, okay? Jesus' primary role was heaven and hell, but the Holy Spirit's role is to help us on this earth, to be overcomers in this life. He said that when he would leave us, he would leave us, when he said when he left, he would leave us a comforter. And the Holy Spirit does that so much. There were times, so many times I would lose it, lose my cool on my kids, and I would have to pray. First of all, I, I go to the Lord, ask forgiveness. I go to my kids, ask forgiveness. Very important part. If you make a mistake, ask your kids for forgiveness. They already know you did anyway, so ask them. But then I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just cover my kids, cover them. Lord, if I damaged their little spirit and wounded their little heart in any way, please cover me, cover my mistakes, make them new, heal them, okay? Not only does he comfort, but he's also, he does so much more than comforting. He can prompt you when something's just not right with your child. Isaiah eleven two says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. You need all those things when you're parenting. Wisdom, counsel, might, uh, understanding. John 16, 13 says the Spirit will guide you into all truth. You need the truth. When they were little, they would come and tattle on us, and there would be two totally different sides, and we were like, what? What do we do? I, I don't even know who to believe, you know? We'd start asking the Lord and the Holy Spirit to give us truth. And it's, it's like a muscle you have to develop. When you hear the, his voice for the first time, you might not know it necessarily, or you might not c- catch that that's an inkling. Okay, maybe I'm, that's the way I'm supposed to go. But you start developing a muscle, and you start getting better at it and hearing it and then being able to act on it. Um, so the Holy Spirit will, will just, he, he'll inform you with things that your kids are struggling with or um, things when they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that um, Devin has said this, even in recent months, that he, he would be just on the cusp of making a really bad choice or a wrong decision, and I'd send him a text. Now, I, I had no idea. I just was, based on, you know, the Holy Spirit's prompting, send him a text, tell him you love him. I love you, son. Hey, proud of you. You know, and it said, he said so many times it stopped him from making the wrong decision. But I had to be listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Um, this, one of the other things is just asking the Lord to, to the Holy Spirit to kind of reveal to you what it is that your children struggle with. They might not be able to put it in words, um, and the Holy Spirit will give you that to be able to help you with parenting. He, is our, he should be our partner in everything in parenting. In conclusion today, I want to ask you, like, what, what would you do if you had an appliance and um, it started breaking down and you knew the manufacturer? Okay, he was your friend, he was in your cell phone, he was a call away, wouldn't you call him? Okay, that's what happens when, we're, when we have kids. Our kids could somehow break down or whatever, but I know their manufacturer. I know the one who installed in them what they, I don't have to know all their parts and how they work together and what their brain's thinking and all that, 
That's overwhelming to me. I know that if my thermostat this summer during a hot day started spewing out heat, I'd be calling Obi, Rosa, going, oh my gosh, help me, help me. I don't know, I was pushing all the buttons. It's spewing out heat. I don't know what to do. What do I do, Obi? What do I do? I'm sure he'd say something like, calm down, Stacey. It's okay, it's okay. I know exactly what to do. I've got it. I'm coming over. I'll be right over. Okay? It's the same thing with our manufacturer for our kids. When we go to him and we can call him and call on him and say, I don't know what to do. Do you know how many times I did that? I don't know what to do, kids. Lord, these are your kids that you gave me. Apparently what I'm doing is not working. I need you to tell me what to do. He will do it. And he would say, calm down, Stacey. It's okay. I got it. I made them. I know what her breaking point is. I know what he needs in order to learn this. I got it. It's okay. I'm coming. I'm coming right now. I'll be right over. And he will do it with you if you ask him. So don't forget to invite the Holy Spirit into your parenting life. Did she do great? Did she do great or what? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hey, would you stand to your feet as I uh, prepare to dismiss you in just a second? I want to remind you of uh, just a couple of things. One, if um, you have a prayer request or, you know, maybe you're struggling in the area of parenting, um, we want to pray for you. I take those, those prayer requests very seriously. We have a prayer ministry that takes those seriously. Please use your connection card. Just put that in the connection box on the way out. Um, also, just want to encourage you, for those of you who kind of want to jumpstart your faith and really go forward and grow in your journey, uh, tonight at 201, again, 530 uh, in the lower auditorium, we have our 201 class. If you would just bow your heads, I want to pray with you. And uh, as you're kind of just focusing your attention, I just want to say that uh, God is the ultimate parent, the ultimate parent. He knows exactly what you need. And he knows that what you need is to be in right relationship with him. And what's very interesting about relationship with God, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would just honor the person to your right or to your left, this is an important moment for some people, very important. He knows that your relationship with him is directly affected by your view of him. How you view God will affect your relationship with God. And I want to pray that God will, in some cases, erase the negative view you have of God because God loves you so much. He wants to express his love for you. He wants to be in intimate relationship with you. That is, that is the purpose and the reason that he sent his son Jesus into the world is so that we could have a vibrant, fulfilled, loving relationship with God the Father. And so if you're here today and that connection, somehow it's been disconnected, Maybe you've fallen away from God. Maybe you've never really been assured of your connection with God. Jesus came to make that connection possible. And you can make that decision right now. And you've experienced the word. You've experienced worship. In essence, you've been given something to drink. And you've been given food to strengthen you. But to really digest that, to really make it work in your life, you need Jesus. If you know that's you and God's knocking on your heart, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, that he stands at the door and he knocks. He says, will anybody let me in? I want to come in and I want to, have a, I want to break bread with them. I want to meet with them as friends. I want to be their friend. If you want to know that personal relationship with you, just boldly, between me, you, and God, raise your hand and say, that's me. I don't want to go out of here today without having that assurance. There's not a, 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Is there anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. All the way in the back there. Thank you. Am I missing anybody else in the back? Praise God. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Church, would you just pray with me? And those that raise your hand, it's so important that you, you mean this from your heart. I'm telling you that God wants to do something on the inside of you. The old life can be gone today and new life can begin today because of the decision you've made. It's the easiest decision to make. It is hard to walk it out, but the Holy Spirit will be with you, as my wife said. And he'll come inside you when you pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I thank you for giving your life for me. I choose today to give my life back to you. I want to be in relationship with you. Right standing with the ultimate parent, God the Father. Holy Spirit, ignite my spirit. Quicken me. Come alive in me. Make me a new person in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person that's in this room, and I pray that you seal that prayer. I pray for every person, God, that has been under uh, uh, parenting that has been poor, and I pray that you repair poor parenting in their relationship with God. I pray for those who are parenting currently and struggle in the parenting role, and I pray that you encourage them in their role as parents, that they take the words that that were spoken today, that they receive them. The wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and it is it is wise and it is easily entreated help them lord to hide that word in their heart and to apply that in their parenting world with other people i pray for moms today i pray for a special blessing on moms may your favor be on moms lives today lord may they feel the blessing of god may their children uh, rise to call them blessed lord and may they be blessed they're coming in and they're going out in jesus name and everybody said amen and amen give the lord a big hand clap you guys have an awesome